Talk Recorded live. What a wonderful morning on this October the 8th, 2017 from Coolidge, Arizona. Glad to have all of you folks tuned in today. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 13. Now, of all matters that you know about, now you just kind of scan your brain, if you can find it. Now, by the way, if you are scanning your brain, what are you scanning it with? Do you know your lesson? Have you learned anything well? What's 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, what does it say about how it is that we scan our thinking? What's the means by which we scan our thoughts? Would be the word. No. No. That's the tool. Okay. But it's our spirit. Okay. No one knows his thoughts outside of his what? Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And that's why Christ's spirit was given to the apostles. That enabled them to know the thinking of God. Now, we should know that by now. We should, that should be clear, clear. But of all matters that you know about, so scan your thinking and remember that what, the, the way that you're allowed to scan your own thinking is through your spirit. So if your spirit has not been properly instructed, then your scan is not going to give to you an accurate picture. Now, did we get that or not? So the business of the church is to educate spirit. Our work is to educate the spirit of our people. The spirits of just men made perfect. Hebrews chapter 10. But of all the matters that you know about, as you scan your thinking, of all the matters that you know about and care about or don't care about, none make any difference in the world except for one matter, and that is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that at point he then made him both what and what? Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ. Look at Acts chapter um, 13 and verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. And I might say that from this point on, he is going to be referred to as Jesus Christ, no longer as just Jesus unless when they are talking about Jesus, they are talking about something that he said or did as a man, as one of us, prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, is that clear? Yes. Somehow we hit a real sensitive point on that. It's, it's, but, folks, that's just the way it is. It's just very, very neatly organized. I think so. It, there's no real mystery to it. He <laughs> wasn't... He hadn't died and, and, you know, rose again while he was still a man. No. And that's so true, Alex. Then look at verses 37 and 38 of um, Acts 13. 
But he whom God raised was raised so long afterwards he was not recognizable. That's verse 37, right? He did not undergo decay. He did not undergo decay. So there was a limitation of how long he could remain among the dead without his body back on earth until it began to decay. Therefore, let it be known to you in verse 38, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, what has he been talking about in the previous few verses? The resurrection of Christ. Now he says, as putting all of that together, 38, let, therefore, therefore means that this is the conclusion, this is the meaning, this is the content of what it is we've been talking about, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, sin is the issue. Not sin as you perceive it in somebody else, but sin as it is perceived by God about you. It can be the sin of absence. It can be the sin of, of uh, commitment. It can be the sin of neglect. It can be the sin of stubbornness. It can be the sin of rebellion. You know, it goes on and on. Wherever we miss the mark. Wherever we miss the mark as to your function and purpose. And, and the end result of what he's talking about in verse 39 of this same chapter in Acts 13, <clears throat> that through him, through him, now that's encompassing everything that surrounds you when you're in him. Through him, everyone who believes is a continued action is freed from all things, well, freed from all things. But you see, there is a condition. You have to read the rest of the sentence. It's like when Jesus told uh, the woman, remember, he says, I know so many things about you, lady. Oh, I just know so many things about you. A man, her countenance dropped. And he told her, he said, you go, therefore, and sin." No more. No more. Oh, you see, there's the rest of the sentence. No more. You can't stop in the middle of an idea, folks. That's actually in, not through. And that's right. He who believes in him, that is, you are positioned in him. Uh, that's right. That's a good point. Uh, all things. But all things is an adjective. Here. Sometimes it's an adverb. In this case, it's an adjective. So it's, descrip it's describing the things. But describing what things? Well, he's talking here about the things that could not be accomplished by what? Those things that can be, cannot be accomplished in the law of Moses. So it's not that you're going to be free from everything you're, you're not free from eating because you become a Christian. You're not free from putting gas in your car because you're a Christian. You're not free from eating healthy food because you're a Christian. And if you have fungus of your toenail, 
It's not going to help you to be a Christian. You have to do something about that. He's talking clearly that you're going to be freed from all things, those things of which you could not be freed from through the law or in the law. Can't, there's, there's just, you, can't, you can't go there. So the all things is qualified clearly that the law of Moses could only free you from certain, could not free you from the things that the gospel can free you from, and primarily that's guilt. People are obsessed with guilt. That's the motivation for a lot of things that are wrong in our society. That's the motivation for a lot of things that are going on in, in the charismatic and the evangelical church movement today. All the excitement, that's all a way of kind of obliterating the sense of guilt that hasn't been dealt with through the blood of Christ. The law of Moses cannot free you from that. Can only be, you can only be set free from that when you are in Christ. You are then free from all things that the law of Moses could not free you from. That's the qualification. Now, one more thing, and I told Alex that we're going to have a little rabbit trail this morning, probably more than a bunny trail. We, need, we have to reinforce, Tanya was talking to me this morning uh, about a program she was listening to last night, and it was the gospel, the gospel as referred to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John which are all four a part of the Old Testament, right? Your New Testament does, should not begin until the book of Acts. It's too bad that our book, our Bible, is divided that way because here we have all the Calvinist movement premised on the Old Testament teaching. When Jesus was here as a man, as one of us, and he came only to whom? House of Israel. To the house of Israel. And it wasn't until his resurrection that he was proclaimed as the Savior of all of mankind. He became a ransom for whom? Men. All of mankind. That's the transition point. Now, the apostles then were granted by Jesus to take that message of Christ. Now it's no longer the message of Jesus, but it's the message of Christ to the world. And I want to talk to you for a bit about from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's, Paul's justification of himself as having been an, uh, an appointed apostle as opposed to the apostles that were set by God through Christ in his ministry. I'm not sure I said that right. Yeah. But do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Well, there, there was always a question. So I, I want you to go back to chapter 9 and verse 13. I'm always throwing Alex for a loop here. <clears throat> David, can I ask you, yes. before you move on, to make some clarity on that, is who was he appointed by? Okay, and we're going to find that out here specifically. Who was Paul appointed by? Anybody want to guess? We'll come back to that. 
Good, good focus, though. So in verse 13 of chapter 9, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for obedience to your confession of the gospel of Jesus. Christ. Christ. Boy, you folks are slow. <laughs> I expected the airwaves to roll and turn over in their grave. No, uh, obedience to your confession of the gospel of, right. of Christ. You see, because there is no gospel of Jesus. It wasn't the gospel until the apostles took it over. They had the good news of who it was Jesus was. But it had no power until the resurrection when he became Lord in Christ. Oh, I hope you understand that. Now, let's go to chapter 10. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now, I, Paul... Myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And there, there's, there's some Greek issues here, but I really don't want to take time for all of that right now. Or we'll never get done. We'll never get off of this rabbit trail. I am who I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. That apparently is how the Corinthians looked at the Apostle Paul that when he was with them, he was very gentle and meek, but when he wrote to them, he wrote with very straightforward and boldly. Now he's going to defend, he's going to make a defense. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now that's worthy of several weeks, but the word flesh always has, sometimes it's referring to the law, sometimes it's referring to your body and blood and bones. It always has an underlying definition, and don't you forget this. The word flesh always has built into it somewhere that which is temporary. Don't forget that. There's always an element when it speaks of the law as being the flesh in Romans. Remember that that says what about the law? Temporary. That there is some there are elements of it, if not all of it, that are temporary. That's the word flesh means that is here today and gone tomorrow. Whatever it is. You are, you are in the flesh today. Is, that, is, the, is the flesh wrong? No. Of course not. Why, the flesh is just as divine as baptism. And the, the needs of the flesh are just as sacred as the Lord's Supper if within the context and the perimeters that God has placed it within. That, that's why uh, we're not ascetics. That's why we're not hedonist. That's why the two laws or the two rules are so pertinent. What better way to set the example of behavior 
towards the flesh. If we feel that way towards the flesh, it's almost certainly we feel that way towards the spirit. Sure. And what and with the contrast between the spirit and the flesh is that the spirit is it's that which is lasting. Well, yeah, it's it is Yes. In some ways, it's temporary. So we're all in the flesh. Jesus says they came in the sarks. Mm-hmm. He came in the flesh, which tells us what about him while he was in the flesh? That mm-hmm. he was? A man. He was a man. He was temporary, as you and I are. So you've got to get your words right. Correct. You have to get them from how it's used in every context. This, this all, that's all, Sarks is also the word that's used for human nature. It's also the word for human nature. Because I'm not, there is, that doesn't, that that's doesn't, an application of it. And that's why I qualified, it doesn't mean that everything in the flesh is temporary, mm-hmm. but that's the core, core meaning of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Yes. So, I made, uh, Greg has worked on a chart with me on this the definition of uh, key words and the flesh is one of them. And uh, you can't be, you can't, I've, I've sent it out to different preachers and, you know, they just can't buy it. And I, I don't, I don't get the reasoning why they reject that. Because they have a different view of the flesh that the flesh is inherently evil. And as soon as you look at the flesh, and its desires as being inherently evil, what have you just done to Christ? You have made it impossible for him to be a man, therefore he must be a God while he is here. See how that all comes together? Because we got the wrong idea of a word. I ask in verse 2, I'm going to read the verse again, we've got to keep moving on here. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold. He said, I want your attention with this um, because I I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh, according to, and he may have in mind here the law itself, walked according to that from which he has come out of, that walking according to the dictates of the law. Now, that doesn't say that, but that's a possibility. For though we walk in the flesh, now I think he's expanded it, we walk in the flesh as a man, as Christ walked, we do not war according to it. It is not what dictates life in its wholeness. Because it's temporary. There's something beyond the temporary that life is all about. Folks, that's the message of the church. We talk to people. You live in the flesh. That's temporary. But there's something about living in the flesh that tells us there's something beyond that. We don't, that's, that's not what dictates our life. For the weapons of, war are, of our warfare, verse 4, are not, a, not according to the flesh, are not of the flesh, not out of the flesh, but divinely powerful, powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, that's all in background to where we want to get in verse 5. So he's saying our warfare is not limited to the emotions that are temporary 
to the flesh, which is temporary, to the law, which is temporary, to anything that is of a temporary nature. We have a warfare that exceeds anything that is outside the framework of the flesh. We, verse 5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And folks, when we get this word figured out, we understand the message of the Apostle Paul, and we realize that we have a real force. Then maybe we can start winning some battles. We're just sucked into materialism, of politicalness, all of those things that are according to the flesh. Now he says, we have something that destroys speculations. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Talk about the arrogance of the atheist. And we are taking, now catch on, now sit down. We are taking every thought. There's no we are. It's just taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Right. And there's not any, no resistance to that? You're really slow. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because the apostles had no message about Jesus until it had given had been given to them on the day of Pentecost and then later the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 and 10. And their knowledge now was with and of him as the whom? As the Christ. So the Baptists, for instance, who focus on Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they have no gospel at all. Because the gospel of which Paul is proclaiming here is the gospel that was granted to the apostles and to him, and they were bringing every one of their private thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ as revealed to them in Acts chapter 2 through God's Spirit or Christ's Spirit, which had entered into their spirit miraculously. So we are therefore ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. And that's the summary of his um, answer to their claim that he was kind of weak in one way and very bold in another way. But he said, we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. We don't want to jump the gun because sometimes you can force an issue too soon and in an improper manner and you lose any hope of ever saving that person. You have to know where to go, how far to go, and when to go. We are ready to punish all disobedience, but I'm waiting for the congregation to bring their lives into full obedience to Christ. 
We are in the process of bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and, and the message of Christ is only applicable or only applicable, if you want to say it that way, to you and me as it comes to us through the apostles and those who were apostolically appointed. Now, I'm not done yet. Look at verse 7. If you, you are looking at things as they are outwardly, you see, that's, that's the standard, that's temporary. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Jesus's, is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Now, that's the bond. Yeah. That's the bond. Verse 8. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, oh, I tell you, the churches today don't like authority. No. Tanya and I were talking about this this morning, that the, the administration of the Calvinist movement, and principally all of, Bapt, uh, all of uh, the Baptist churches and all of their derivatives, all of these community churches are all Baptists in theology. And what they have is they have a group of men who, who run and have the authority in each of those groups. And to maintain their authority, then, they hire someone to come in and be their preacher over whom they have full, full authority. And they can tell him when to go, when to leave, when to come, what to say, and what not to say. That's true of all of TBN people. They all have a group. Now, if they call themselves pastor, have you ever heard of any church where they called the preacher pastor? Well, everybody who comes in here to visit us, well, my, preacher, my pastor says this. Well, that means that in order to be a part of that group of authority, then they make themselves as one of them as a pastor. And folks, that is just so foreign, so foreign to the Bible teaching. If you are in a part of a church that calls their preacher a pastor, get out of it now. Get up and walk out now. Do not be a part of that. Now, a, a pastor can be a preacher, but if it's a if it is a pastor, then you are in a baptistic indoctrinated church, and you need to get out because in that there is no salvation. I hope you don't consider me to be kind. I'm not intending to be at all. I'm kind of identifying myself with Paul. There is a place for us to be bold. There's a time for us to be gentle and meek. But, folks, in, these are issues today that have destroyed and uprooted the church, and we've got to get back to the right foundation. Now, in verse 8, even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, see, the authority begins and ends with the apostles. And the church, then the Lord gave that for building you up. This is verse 8. 
The Lord gave authority to them for building you up. Now, he says, I am also a part of that, but I'm one out of season. Not for destroying you. The authority is not designed to be a means of destruction or a means of destroying you. And I'm not going to allow you, he says now, to put me to shame because I am exercising my authority as an apostle. That's what I wanted to establish, first of all, today, that because Paul was as an apostle, he had the authority of the apostles, and he says, I will not allow you to put me to shame because I exercise that authority. Now, verse 9, he goes on. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. That's not as uh, my uh, objective, but I know they, they say, they say, that is, his accusers say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Now, those are two unrelated things. And we're, we're, he's, gonna, he's going to define them here. Let me finish on. Let me keep going. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such person we are also indeed when present. That's his answer. We're the same people. We may not be impressive, as it says in verse 10. You said we're not impressive. We may not be impressive. We, the gospel of Christ is not dependent upon how impressive we are. I like that. Yeah, that's so do I. See, I really like that. That means that when Alex, what are you, 15 now? Something yeah, something like that. You know, what? She says, oh, he's older than that. Is he old enough to be a grandpa? Yeah. No. So. He's, he's old enough to be my, my, my uncle. Oh, he's your uncle. Okay, I like that. So, you see, he doesn't have, no matter who it is speaking, they don't have to be impressive. What happens when people try to be impressive? Try to be that. You see, some of our seminaries, that's, they teach you how to stand, how to say God. Those are all things that impress people. And his speech is contemptible. I don't know what that means. It just says that that was, he, that was their accusation. But he says this, that whoever we are as a person, when we're not with you, is the same as we are when we are with you. We are also indeed when present. Verse 12. Now, boy, this is another one you need to sit up and take notice on because if 99% of our church people are guilty of this, they're going to have to answer to God for it. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. Now, notice this statement. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, People are always making comparisons. Well, he's not like this person. She's not like that woman. This and that. Always making a comparison. Well, they do it this way. They do it this way. Well, they do it some other way. Paul is so clear. 
we are not so bold as to compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But they are measuring themselves by themselves. That's their self-indulgent standard. And they compare themselves with themselves. And when they do this, they are without understanding. Don't get caught in that trap as making yourself a standard by which you determine whether someone else is bold or weak. Powerful stuff. They are without understanding. So he's making a very bold statement to this church at Corinth. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure, within the measure of the sphere which God appointed to us as a measure, that's the measure. And if we live up to that measure, we will boast. Because it's God's measure, not our measure. I like that. He is not wimpy here at all. For we are not overstanding ourselves as if we did not reach out to you For we were the first to come, even as far as you, in the gospel of Jesus. No. You get the trend of what we're doing here? It's always the gospel in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 13, it's the gospel of Christ. In chapter 10, verse 5, it's the obedience of Christ. Here in chapter 10 and verse 14, It's the gospel of Christ again. That's what the apostles brought to us that was not brought to us by Jesus. Not boasting beyond our measure. Now, you see, he's telling us our limit is the measure that has been given to us. We're not going to be boasting outside of that measure or beyond in other men's labors, but with the hope that that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more, that our sphere of operation will grow as you grow because of the teaching of the gospel of Christ. So, as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but in the sphere that has been granted to us. He who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom what? The Lord Lord commends. Now I want you to go over to chapter 12 and verse 12 of the same book. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse. We have been struggling so much here to establish the authority of the apostles and now of Paul. We have a question on the floor that we haven't quite dealt with yet, and that is, by what means did Paul become an apostle? Remember when we discussed that back in Acts? We'll we'll come back to that in a minute. But look at chapter 12 and verse 12, and and then we'll go back to our 
uh, our initial lesson in Acts 13. The signs of a true apostle. Let me read it as is read today. The signs of a real Christian. No, the signs of a true apostle were. Am I, wait, I need this in the Greek, by the way. I've got it. You, have you got it? You want it right now? I want it right now. The, the, the signs that are truly the signs of the apostle, and there's an article there, of the apostle, generative, so that's why the word of is used, were wrought among you. Notice that the among you <coughs> is like it is all the way through Acts, uh, Romans chapter 8. It's in human, it's in you, but because the you is plural, then the in has to be not in, but among you. See that? And they know how to get it right. And, and so it's in you. And then the next word after in you all, that's the you is corporate, in you all or among you all as a group, in all and in there is proper because patience is singular. Now, that's what I needed there. The signs of a true of an apostle who is truly an apostle, they are one of the apostles. They were performed among you with all perseverance, by signs, wonders, and miracles. Who in the church at Corinth performed signs, wonders, and miracles? The apostles. The apostles. And the purpose of them doing that was to do what? Confirm their message. To to confirm their message, and that they were a true Apostle. Isn't that all come together right? All right. Now, who can remember offhand, way back in Acts, we're going to go back to chapter 13 if we have a moment here, who appointed Paul Or how did Paul, who was originally called whom? Saul. Saul. How did he become an apostle? No tricks to that. He was confronted and asked, Why do you persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? And we, at that time, I think we assumed that the me was the Lord. The Lord? Yeah, the Lord. And, and so now, who then, if that be true, and he then begins to tell Paul what he's going to be doing, He is a chosen instrument. The Lord, in verse 15 of chapter 9, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear 
my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And And because he was such a devout Jew, such a strong Jew, that combined with this event, which was supernatural, um, changed his direction. Yep. And there was, he did have to accept it, but he had a physical ailment as well. He he was also struck. There was, he was strongly encouraged. Strongly encouraged. (laughs) How's that that sound, Dave? Um, He, um, he was blind for a while. He, he did what he was told, and so did others involved. Right. Somewhat reluctantly, you know, because of... You made a comment, Neil, that I missed. He's, he's on my deaf side. No, I, I didn't. Oh, you did? No. Was that your stomach rumbling? Maybe. Are you that hungry? <laughs> okay. Okay. So... I think that's your answer. Is that what you wanted? There was, uh, like the other apostles, uh, I'm going to say, from what I've learned in this, there, there, was, there was some choosing and some accepting involved. Um, look at the trials that Peter went through, for example, mm-hmm. before the day of Pentecost. You know, he, he he was he was bouncing off the walls a little. Yeah. But so these men had spirits of their own, David, including Paul. And they had personalities. And you know, God never changed their personality. Look at Paul writing half of our New Testament was considered by the those who were rejecting his message as being very unimpressive and very poor of speech. God didn't change that. But notice what he says back there in Second Corinthians. He was, uh, I personally don't, don't believe that. He was a bad orator to some, but he was still a teacher and had been his whole life. I think that that was, uh, I think that people were focusing on him and trying to bring him down for one reason or another, saying whatever they could. Look, can I give you an additional passage in First sure. Second Corinthians chapter twelve? Yes. Uh, verse nine. All right. It's just, it's above where we just were. He says in verse eight. Concerning this, and that is the thorn in the flesh, we don't need to be, uh, we, we don't need to be speculate, uh, speculative here yeah. for this moment. Whatever, whatever it was, it was a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And that isn't the passage I wanted, but let me go on because it does, uh, the one I wanted is back in chapter 10. Uh, But anyway, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for me because that's where you are in grace and being in his grace will meet all of your needs within that grace that you need for power is perfected in weakness. So 
you see, it's, it's all right for somebody to be weak because truth is perfected in weakness. Power of the gospel is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses. Why? Yes. So that the power of Jesus. No. Right. Again. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses and persecutions with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. We have to be careful that we don't compel someone to be foolish. That word means empty-headed. He appeared to some as being empty-headed. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. From whose perspective? From his own. From his own and from his audience that he was correcting. I, I am in no respect inferior to the most eminent apostles, who might include whom? Peter. Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Because his message was the, was the same. Because that's right, the message of the gospel of Christ was the same. For in no respect am I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. And he's probably using that in a means of sarcasm. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you. I like verse 13, and we're going to have to close, for in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, Corinth? Oh, they felt so sorry for themselves. Paul says, we've not treated you as inferior, except in one way. Except in one way. Except in one way we treated you inferior. In verse 13, that I myself did not become a burden to you financially. Forgive me this wrong. Now that'll give you something to chew about. Folks, that was a rabbit trail. And it might have been one of the reasons for their attitude towards him. It may have been. It's It's a human nature issue. Well, folks, uh, that's um, I, I was. I'm just one of these days. I'm not going to be around. I'm, I'm going to be gone, and I want to make sure that we understand the apostolic authority that Paul is one of those who had apostolic authority by the Lord's appointment of him to become a part of the apostleship itself. He was one of those added to the twelve initially. Barnabas was an apostle unofficially, but one who was sent. Paul was an official one who was given the authority to perform miracles and to lay his hands on others to pass that and some aspects of it to pass it on. And when, of course, he died, that was no longer possible. So in Acts chapter 13, we have tried to establish the authority of the apostles. We have, we have attempted to establish 
that from Acts chapter 2 on, it is Jesus the Christ, that it is Christ because he was appointed that at his resurrection, and the resurrection is absolutely critical. So what I said to begin with, of all the matters we know about, there is none that makes a difference in life except for one. And that is that God raised Jesus from the dead to become both Lord and Christ. And he did, by his resurrection, brought to us the ability to have our sins forgiven, something that the law could never do. The law could never turn anyone right side up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for precious moments of which there are so few of in our time to get into the word and to study it and to have a heart for it. May our commitment be that we keep our hearts in tune, always desiring the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.